So we're starting the second week of the series, and I always enjoy it when I feel like God just stuck his finger right in the middle of somebody's issue, because my email box was really busy this week. I like it when that happens. And I, I love when I get emails that say, basically, I don't like what the Bible has to say. I'm like, good. <laughs> That's awesome. We're going to continue to struggle. We're doing a series called Sweat Equity. It really talks a lot about work. And last week, we talked about the differences. We tried to set some qualifiers. We laid out a theology of work from Scripture. And I want to make sure, you have to be really careful when you separate out little pieces of theology. You have to look at the whole, otherwise it doesn't work, and you often end up missing the point. But this week, I'm going to start by saying this. I am going to get to Mother's Day eventually. And some of you are going to wonder, as I go through this, how in the world are you going to get to Mother's Day? Just hang with me, okay? We're going to work on this together. Well, last summer, I actually left a pair of shoes out one night in the backyard. I just forgot about them until the next morning. And so I got up in the morning, and as part of my morning ritual, the first thing I do is I let our two Yorkies out. I lose all of my man points for having Yorkies. I mean, seriously, <laughs> they're like rats with fur, you know, but they're part of the family. So I let them out to go do their thing. And as I stood on my back deck, I saw my shoes sitting out in the middle of the yard. And I thought, I can't leave my shoes out there. I need to go get them. So I walked in bare feet out across the lawn and I re- it was really cold and wet. So I thought, I'm just going to slip my shoes, get my feet into the shoes, walk back to my deck. So I stuck my feet into them and what greeted my toes was a cross between butter and goo. In putting on my shoes, I annihilated a slug that decided to turn my shoes into his condo that particular night, all right? I don't like slugs. I grew up in Manitoba. Slugs are this big. Somewhere along the line in Washington, you put your slugs on roids. I mean, seriously. There's some big slugs around this place. I don't like them. I did some research on slugs to find out if they actually contribute anything to society or nature, and they don't. They're a total waste of slime. I don't understand why God would even make them. I want to ask that question someday. What's up with the slug? In Scripture, God has a name for a person that's habitually inactive or lazy, and God calls them a slug-erd. But it's there, right? It's there. The slug of Scripture we're going to meet today. The slug of Scripture is a slimy creature that survives in the wet undergrowth of laziness. And they leave a silver trail of empty promises and half-finished accomplishments everywhere they go. Now, I'm going to keep calling the slugger to him today, and the guys are going to think I'm picking on them, and the truth is I am, because it would have been so convenient if the word sluggard was one of those gender-neutral deals in Scripture. It's not. It's masculine. Put on your seatbelts, gentlemen, all right? I'm just going to give you a general introduction to the slug of Scripture. This is how Scripture describes this person. And we're going to go through some Proverbs today. Proverbs 10, 26 says this, As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. Let me translate that for you. The sluggard is a sour irritant to the working world. Sluggards irritate their bosses because they're filled with excuses all of the time. Sluggards leave a sour taste in the mouth of those of us that like to work really hard because they don't like to work hard. 
I mean, have you ever gotten smoke in your eyes? I mean, you just kind of blink it away. It, it, it irritates your eyes. And that's what a sluggard does. I mean, just like rubbing vinegar on your teeth, the work ethic of a sluggard leaves a sour taste in the mouth of those who desperately want to work hard as if they were working for God, not their boss. Proverbs 13, 4, the sluggard craves nothing or craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Let me translate that for you. The sluggard wants everything, but does nothing. I mean, the sluggard shows up on your doorstep with a business opportunity that he'd like to share with you. He talks about quick ways to fulfill your craving to become a millionaire. He talks about the dream of, of fancy cars and big houses. And then he gets on his skateboard and goes home to his mommy's basement where he lies on his back and dreams about how rich he's going to be someday. Proverbs 19.24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> Let me translate that for you. The sluggard specializes in half-finished projects. This guy is so lazy. He picks up a chip, extends his arm out to the bean dip bowl, and after he's lifted up that beautiful thing of fat and, and, and artery-hardening stuff, he goes, you know, nah. And he just leaves his hand out there. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't want bean dip? Seriously, right? He just leaves it out there because it's too much hassle. He sighs and he says to himself, it's too hard. I'll finish that project tomorrow. Now, before any of us decide that, that, that somehow that's not us uh, and, we, and we brand him a loser, let me just ask a question about the unfinished projects in your life. That half-finished garage, that, that, that half-finished gazebo that's in your backyard that you now call an artistic structure, right? That half-finished manuscript, that half-finished job application, that half-finished whatever. Now, Christ the King, be really, really careful with this message today because this message is about you and God, but it's very easy to start elbowing and doing this. So here's how, what we talk about at CTK. Keep your eye on your own sin, all right? He specializes in half-finished projects. Proverbs 21:25. the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Let me translate that one for you. It's not that the slugger cannot work. There are people that cannot work. It's that he will not work. That he makes the choice to put aside the God-fulfilled promise and purpose of his life. He just decides he's going to go and do his own thing. Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside or I'll be murdered in the street. Let me translate that one. The sluggard's full of excuses. He says, I can't go out and look for a job. A meteor may fall from the sky and kill me. The sluggard says, I can't get a job working with my hands. I might get a hangnail, and I don't want to live with that kind of pain. The sluggard says, I can't step outside of my door because I don't really know what's out there. Do you know what's out there? Your future is out there. I tried to think of the most common excuse that I hear. I just picked up on one that I heard a lot last week. I hear people say, you know what, I really, really want to work, but I seem to be overqualified for everything. So, 
So I think I'll just wait. Now, when someone else says you're overqualified for a job, that's cool. That's one thing. When you declare yourself to be overqualified and then use it as an excuse to do nothing, there's a word for that in Scripture. It's called arrogance. And the Bible says God opposes the proud. Gives grace to the humble. When Laurel and I first got married, I had a four-year college degree, Bachelor of Arts in Pastoral Ministry, with specialties in the areas of youth ministry and counseling. And because Laurel and I really wanted to make sure that our marriage could handle the stress of ministry, my first job was flipping burgers as a married man. And it was good for me. Came home every night smelling like pickles and onions. Laurel hated the job. But I had a responsibility. While I was preparing for the career of my choice, I still needed to feed my family. Laurel and I were both working. We were working unbelievably hard. And it was humbling sometimes. I'd run into friends and go, hey, Grant, what are you doing? Feeding my family? <laughs> really? Doing what? Flipping burgers. I learned some incredibly good lessons about the fact that sometimes you just got to do what you've got to do. And that when you're willing to humble yourself, God says that He'll do the job of lifting you up. So let's not be excusing ourselves. Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Let me translate that one. The sluggard moves a lot, but accomplishes nothing because he's anchored in place. I mean, have you ever seen a door, right? It moves a ton, in, out, back, forth, back, forth, all day long, and it goes nowhere because it's fixed in place. That's the problem with the sluggard. He's always moving. The problem is he's moving in a stationary position. He never actually leaves in order to go and accomplish anything. Here's the last one, Proverbs 26, 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. Let me translate that one for you. The sluggard thinks he's an expert on everything. Have you ever met that guy? The guy who's an expert on everything. I mean, he can tell you how to do everything. If you're cooking a steak, he can teach you how to cook it just a little bit better. He can give you 50 reasons why you're not successful, but for the life of him, he can't figure out why no one can stand him. I mean, he walks in a room and starts waxing eloquent and people just find something else to do. This is the guy who loves to lecture Bill Gates on how to run a computer company and then goes home to his Commodore 64 and his abacus to figure out his life, right? This guy drives us crazy. And that's the hard thing about a sluggard. He has no clue. He doesn't even know he's a slug. He thinks he's a butterfly. He thinks it's his job just to flit from flower to flower, make everybody smile. The problem is he doesn't do anything. Those of you that are giggling, you've met that guy, haven't you? You know him right now. And you look at that picture, and it's not very pretty. You look at that picture, and I think there's something we can agree on today, and that's the Bible's clear message about a sluggard, and it's this. Don't be that guy. I know that's deep theologically, 
But that's what the Bible's saying. Don't be that guy. Be the exact opposite of that guy. Don't be an irritant to your employer. Don't live in a fantasy world of, of craving with no action. Finish what you start. Stop saying you cannot work when the truth is you won't work. Stop with the excuses and the schemes. Actually put some sweat equity into your life and your purpose. Don't be fixed in place. Instead, be mobile with your dedication and your devotion. Stop being an expert on everything. Just close your mouth and get to work. Just don't be that guy. Now, some of you are wondering, why are you talking about this on Mother's Day? It's because if you'd like to see a picture of what a sluggard is not, I'd like to introduce you to my mom. She's awesome. She's been out visiting with us the last couple of days. It's hilarious. I clean the kitchen. She cleans behind me. Yesterday, she was out with me planting trees, big trees. She's in there with a shovel. She's digging away. I mean, I'm putting plants in the ground. She's relocating them to better spots, right? I just love her to death. My plants die. Hers live, so I go with her plant, all right? I mean, it's unbelievable. If you look up the word slugger, if the, if sluggard, if there was an opposite in the dictionary, I think you'd find a picture of my mom. She just works and works. It's not in her character not to. I'm always just like, Mom, just sit down. She's like, I can't. On Mother's Day, we're talking about sluggards because they're the opposite of that. And if you had a mom like I had, today, call and say thank you. Better yet, if you can't show up on her doorstep, Wrap your arms around her neck and say thank you for not modeling for me what a slug looks like. Thank you for showing me what hard work looks like. Now, I know some of you are going, that is just not my mom, Grant. Scripture says, honor your father and your mother, not because they were honorable, but because God told you to. And we all need to do that. Now, now that we've kind of pulled that together, we're still not finished with that guy. Because the Bible actually talks to the slug, and this is what God says in Proverbs chapter 6. He says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores up its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. And scarcity like an armed man. I mean, if you're that guy, God says that you're actually supposed to make an appointment with one of these little guys. Can I get my aunt picture? There you go. That, that looks like my week right there, right? Underneath of this huge thing, just trying to move some stuff around. Even though I don't like to think that I am that guy, I figured if God tells him to go to the ant, I should probably do the same. So the last time we had sun, I actually went out and tried to find an anthill. Now, I want to know the question of this. Whenever the Fishbook family goes out for a picnic, no matter where we put that blanket, there's an anthill somewhere close. But have you ever tried to go looking for an anthill and find one on purpose? They're nowhere to be found. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I'm wandering around Boulevard Park looking for an anthill because I want to do this. And I found one. 
sat down with my notepad, and I just watched that anthill. And I came loaded this time because I brought a Dorito with me. And I put this big honking chip right beside the anthill, and then I started writing down my lessons. I just put what I found the lessons to be in the one hour that I spent sitting beside that anthill. Lesson number one was this. I learned that ants show incredible initiative. I mean, I put down that huge chip. One little ant came screaming out of the hill, looked at the chip, walked on the chip. I don't know if he tasted the chip. I have no idea. He disappeared back into the hill and brought reinforcements. It was awesome. That guy was a leader. He showed initiative and I loved him. So I named him. I called him Felix. (laughs) It fit. Okay. So can you imagine Pastor Felix as an ant? That just cracks me up. Anyway, it's a bug's life. Anyway, so Felix comes out and I mean, he just checks this thing up bring some friends and they just attack this chip. I mean, suddenly they have a project in seconds and their project is this. We need to get this food source down the hole before the doofus who actually put it outside of our hole exercises the five second rule, picks it up and has it for lunch. I mean, they were on it in seconds. Second thing I learned is that ants know their role and do their job. I mean, these little dudes knew their job was to take the chip and they did. They were worker ants. Their job was to work and it was cool. I did as I watched that whole hour, there was not one ant foreman who stood with his arm on a shovel and barked orders at everybody else. At least I didn't see him. I mean, they were just working. Now, some people look at this scripture and they say, Grant, the Bible says it has no commander, overseer, or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And they go, what about the queen? They have an overseer. They have a ruler. They look at that and they go, the Bible's wrong. I called an ant expert, and she told me, her name is Vanessa, by the way, she told me that the queen only has one role in an ant colony, and that's to supervise larvae and egg production. She has absolutely nothing to do with the work part of the colony. She says this verse, which she has been asked about before, is about work. It's not a verse about family dynamics. She says the Bible is perfectly correct. I said, amen. Thank you, Jesus. There it is. Third lesson, ants are dedicated to a solitary mission, and their mission is food. Some of you just cheered because you have the same mission, don't you, right? I mean, these little guys, they know they've got a real short window here in Washington to bring in food, and they had just found the mother load right outside of their front door. They were dedicated to working until the job was done. The fourth lesson was that ants work in community for the sake of the colony. I already mentioned it. Felix came out, checked out the chip, went back down, whistled, brought reinforcements, and they came out and attacked the chip. Why did he do that? He did it because he realized his limitations and his weaknesses. He knew that he needed to contribute to the food source of the entire colony, so he went and involved some other little ants to help him with this contribution. Christ the King, I got a question for you. What do you contribute to this colony? A lot of people just come and sit, and we're totally okay with that. But at some point, I've got to ask you the question, what do you contribute to this colony? How about the colony that God has placed within the four walls of your home? What are you contributing to the health and the sustenance and the vitality of that community? 
Lesson number five was that ants carry more than their own weight. I found out ants can carry more than 20 times their weight. I mean, they are amazingly strong and dedicated. Over that hour, I watched these chips demolish, push, pull, drag, carry, and transport that chip until it was completely and totally gone. And as I'm sitting there, I'm asking myself some questions. Do I carry my own weight around here? Do I orchestrate my life in such a way that that not only can I carry my own weight, do I actually have enough margin so that if somebody stumbles and falls, that I can actually help get up underneath of their weight and help lift for a little while till they can get their feet back? Galatians chapter 6 says this, carry each other's burdens. People read that, and if they're a professional need person, it's like, there you go, right there. You're supposed to look after me. They read the first part of the verse, they never get to the end. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to be somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. That's the responsibility part we talked about last week. You're responsible for your own load as well as a follower of Jesus to create enough capacity that if a brother or sister stumbles and falls, that you can get up underneath of their crushing load and lift the burden until they can get back on their own feet. That's called caring. Here's number six. Ants work while they can so they can rest later. Man, those ants worked until that chip was gone. I mean, it was incredible to watch. And I have no idea when they were finished. I don't know if they took a union break or a nap. I have no idea what they did. All I know is they worked incredibly hard. Vanessa also told me something interesting about ants. She goes, not one of those ants would have been feeding while they were working. She says, they just understand something. There's a time to work, and then there's a time to rest. They understand they have a small window with which to produce, and that they're going to be able to eat later because they're wise, and they store up what they need to in the window that God has given them. I learned a lot about ants this past week. Did a bunch of research. Did you know that our traffic systems are based on a model of ant that comes out of Africa? Some of you are thinking, we need to send those ants to Seattle and see if they can sort out that mess, right? Right? God tells the sluggard, hang out with the ants and take some notes because they're a picture of how you should be. Now, a couple of minutes ago, I said the Bible's clear message was don't be that guy. And in doing that, I probably exposed you to a sin. Because some of us, when we heard, don't be that guy, breathed a sigh of relief, put a check in that box inside of our soul and said, you know, I don't have much going for me, but at least I got that one covered. I am so not that guy. Really? Are you sure? See, I read that verse and I thought, oh, I'm so glad I'm not that guy. I kind of went through the top of the outline. I felt so much better about myself. I just loved the fact that God was going to point his finger of conviction at somebody else besides me for just one week And then, and then, the verse continues and asks some questions. It says, how long will you lie there? When will you get up? A little sleep, a little slumber, just a little folding of the hands to rest. And I started thinking to myself, how many times have I said, I'll get to that tomorrow? How many times have I said, you know, I just lost interest in that, so I'm not going to finish that project, even though someone else asked me to do it? I mean, I thought about how many times I've just rolled over in my bed and thought, I should mow the lawn today. 
nah, it'll probably rain by the time I get out there anyway. I don't think I'm alone with this one. Have you ever delayed or put off or waited on purpose or just neglected something? I have. And you know what that means? It means, if we're honest, there's a little slug in all of us. The man of wisdom in Proverbs cautions us with this incredible truth. He says, you need to know that becoming a sluggard is a slow process. It doesn't happen just overnight. The sin of sloth comes and slowly wraps its deadly fingers around us by giving us these little tiny, a series of little tiny insignificant choices or they seem insignificant at the time. And then one day we wake up and we realize we're that guy. The Bible says you wake up and suddenly poverty's come on you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. So before we go and put the slug title on everybody else, I think we all need to do inventory. The Bible teaches us that the sluggard lacks the integrity to follow through. And I think that's a tough one for all of us. When we're looking at the question of work, it truly is a question of integrity. So I threw this in just as an extra. If you need to know whether you're working at integrity, I think you can sum it up in three simple questions. I labeled them the sweat equity of integrity, and here are the three questions. Question number one, did I do what I said I would do? Did I do what I said I would do? Question number two, did I do it by when I said it would be done? Did I do it by when I said it would be done? And number three, will I stand behind it now that it's finished? Let me just run them by you one more time. You think about your last 14 days of work and then answer these questions. Did I do what I said I would do? Did I do it by when I said it would be done? And will I stand behind it now that it's all finished? The Bible has a lot to say about that kind of integrity. Let me read a synopsis of it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's not in your outline. I added this at the end. So let's just listen to it. The Bible says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Why do we work so hard to not be that guy? It's so that anything that comes out of us brings glory to God. That's why. It's not to make ourselves look good. It's to make Jesus famous. My prayer this week is simple that the people of Christ the King will not be that guy. Moms, thank you for not being that guy. Thank you for being up before we were up to make sure we disappeared out of the house with something in our stomach. Thank you for sticking a note in our lunchbox that told us we were special. Thank you for being there even at a great cost of personal sacrifice. 
Thank you for praying when we didn't care. Thank you for not giving up when we had given up on ourselves. Thank you for loving us in spite of our defects and our character flaws. Thank you for everything that you've done in not being that guy. You are a gift from God. And on this Mother's Day, we honor you for not being that guy. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, thank you for your word, even when it stings. Thank you for an incredibly high standard. Thank you, God, for being a working God. Lord, I was so humbled this week as I saw the work ethic of Jesus. Working to the point of exhaustion, spreading the gospel. God, thank you for instructing us to balance all of this with godly rest. Thank you for pointing out the slug in all of us. God, would you transform us into one of those people that others can look at and say, that has to be a child of God. God, I pray for moms who are struggling today. I pray that the Prince of Peace would surround them and guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. I pray for moms who feel like failures. May they know your divine approval today. May every mom in this room feel the gratitude of their children today. May they know how much they're loved and appreciated. God, for those who have a disconnect with their mom, Lord, maybe their mom was dishonorable. I pray that they would be obedient to Scripture and honor them anyway. So God, today, thank you for the work ethic of our mothers. May we look at them with incredible gratitude. Thank you for the picture of the ant. I pray that we would be as industrious and hardworking as these little creatures that you created for our benefit. And we pray these things in the matchless, holy, the transforming name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen.